0: Welcome to Business Leader Breakthroughs, where we help unlock the potential in you, your teams, and your business. I'm your host, Ryan Castle, along with Dr. Mike Ashby. We'll share insights, experiences, and stories on achieving breakthrough success in business and life. To learn more, click the link in the episode show notes or go to thebreakthrough.co. Now let the breakthroughs begin. Mike, welcome along to the podcast. I'm excited to talk about the Great Resignation today.
1: Thanks, Ryan. I'm excited too
0: we've got a bit of a view that it's a myth.
1: We do, because uh, I think early in the pandemic, there was a bit of a sense that people were leaving jobs and not going anywhere. But I guess it's a real, uh, you know, it's a real employer-focused phenomenon, isn't it? Uh, What they see is people leaving. Actually, those people were leaving, many of them to go somewhere else. They didn't just leave the labour force. Some did, to be fair. There's some... Thought that lots of people reassessed their lives and did they want to work and you know maybe they'd go and start a business or or uh, or make pottery in somewhere some beautiful part of the country, but that's not that many. Most people went to other jobs because you know you got to eat, right? So the idea that it was a great resignation is is a bit of a self centered view. You might call it the great switcheroo because people went from your place to somebody else's place.
0: Yeah. So I don't think there's any doubt that there has been a significant number of resignations globally. True. No doubt, unequivocal data that has happened. Yep. The understanding of why that has happened, I think, is the is the point of contention. Uh, it's not the fact that uh, 500 million people globally decided that they were going to go and start a pottery business in somewhere, somewhere remote. Yes, some people made some lifestyle changes. They, you know, that, but it's the smaller percentage. And really the question for us to discuss today is, well, if they were resigning, but they want to keep working, what drove them away from the organization they were in and what were they looking for in the organizations they were going
1: to? Yeah. I think that's a better question because, you know, there is no doubt if you look at the data around uh, job openings and labor force participation, they didn't actually change that much. You know, most people were going to another job. And so that that really does raise the question of exactly as you've said, why did they leave and what was so much better about where they were going? I guess we've got to kind of put context around this, which is that you know, I can be writing this in my in my book, um, how to keep great people. And the answer is you can't because people make their own choices. People make their own decisions, lifestyle. They want to go and live somewhere. They want to live with somebody. They want to do something, whatever, whatever. You know, you can't control for all of that. And you can't actually control it at all. People, I believe. Uh, are legally still free to uh, choose where they work. You know, we don't, we don't get to indent them anymore, apparently, <laughs> I don't know, things. And they um, call it progress. Yeah, oh, that's right. Or maybe the US Supreme Court's got a view about that. So, you know, that's the kind of context. But let's talk about the things that, uh, why people leave and what they're looking for. Because I think my concern with thinking about it as a great resignation is it sounds like it's a social movement, that I as an employer have no control over. And I think that's a real cop out. I think that's the fundamental problem with calling it the great resignation because it enables us to avoid confronting the realities of our performance as leaders and managers. And instead we can blame it on this societal trend. So I think we need a good hard look in the mirror and say, what contribution have I made to this resignation?
0: Yes, and uh, more importantly, what can I influence going forward? Uh, We, uh, and all of the organisations we are talking to, all of them are, are having challenge around retention of staff and certainly attraction of new ones. And for many of the organizations we're working with, they are growing organizations. They are wanting to employ more people and they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to uh, get hold of qualified staff. Now, there are some labor market forces at play, which we uh, cannot influence directly. But let's focus our attention in this podcast on the things that can be influenced. And I think a really good place to start is the mismatch between what we observe and employers feel are the things that are most influential for team members. And then let talk about the team members themselves and what they think, it, what they actually see is the most influential. And boy, do we see some mismatch between those two things.
1: For sure. And there's some really interesting McKinsey research on this. McKinsey always do the data and I think they do it better than anybody. Um, and they've done some data around this. Now it's a little, it's now a year old, but I'm not sure it would be any different because what the data says about what employers think is important to employees, and what employees say is important to employees, it's different. And yet you kind of, yeah, I guess you would, I guess you would sort of expect that. You know, if you if you thought there was going to be a, a typical problem around this, this is this is what it would be. So what the um employers thought was most important to employees was that they were. Uh, Looking for a better job, that was probably the most important thing, a better job as in content. Um, They thought a sense of inadequate compensation was the second most important thing to employees. Actually, those things rated as um, somewhat important to employees. They were actually down the list. They were, let me see, fourth and sixth on the list. They're looking for a better job, barely registered as, as more important. What was really important to the most important thing to employees was feeling valued by the organization. And that barely got above from the employer point of view, that barely got above the neither more nor less important. So they were, they just thought that was kind of neutral. And the second most important thing uh, in terms of importance to employee was feeling valued by their manager. And that actually didn't even get to to, um, somewhat less important. I mean, it was on that scale, it was at about mm, two. Two on a five-point scale, three being neither important nor unimportant. So a complete mismatch between what employees are looking for and what employers think they're looking for. And we know that in a market, if you are if you're wrong about and you're thinking about what your customer wants, you won't keep your customer. And it's the same here. If you're wrong in how you're thinking about what your employee wants you won't keep your employee.
0: And to run with the analogy further, if you were to spend a whole lot of time uh, making an element of your product or service that you thought was going to fix your client's desire, you would do that and it still wouldn't retain your client. Same thing is happening in market right now with team members. People are going, oh, we we need to pay more. We need to give them a better job. They need more responsibility. They need a better title. Actually, No, those are not things. So the McKinsey research, well-founded, is going that the two biggest ones you can uh, lever is the manager. What's the perception of the employee? How valued are they by the manager? That was a a standout uh, of importance. Mm. And then the second one being a sense of belonging to the organization.
1: Yeah yeah yeah.
0: and Mike I think you also had some stats from that research around the uh, impact of culture to, to organizations. What was that?
1: yeah that was that was another really interesting one where the um, we overlook culture at our peril. The baseline was you know compensation. how important is compensation? Take that as your baseline that's index that's a hundred. A toxic corporate culture was ten times more important in the decision to leave. Than, than compensation. Uh, failure to recognise employee performance was, was 2.9 times, but the toxic corporate culture, 10 times the impact of compensation. Mm. And that, you know, in the end, that too is the leadership responsibility. That's about being valued by the organisation and that's about a feeling of belonging. What was also up there for uh, employees, things like um having caring and trusting teammates. To be honest, it was somewhat important. Not high on there, but somewhat important. It was in the kind of top five or six. But it was of totally, you know, not important at all in the employer's view of what employees want. That probably tells you about the biggest mismatch in those hygiene factors of it's got to be a nice it's got to be a nice place to work. Like if the if you don't like the people around you, if you don't think they care about you, if they don't trust you or you don't trust them, you're not going to stay. And how is that the manager's responsibility? It's their culture. You know, it is the leader's culture. So that sense of belonging and being valued by the organization, they're actually part of the same the same deal.
0: What we uh, talk about often with our clients is the fact that a culture is experienced by the people you spend the most time with, mm-hmm. who you spend the most time with at work. For many people, it's not the CEO of the organization. It's not the CEO. It is their direct manager and the team within that, that group that they work with. That's where you experience your culture. So if your managers don't know how to manage properly, and they don't know how to create that environment of good culture, doesn't matter what's being said at the executive table. Doesn't matter what posters are on the wall uh, expressing values and is our culture great. None of it will matter. It is your manager is the person that has the most direct effect on your uh, experience of culture in an organisation.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That is that's where the culture lives, right? That's where and and where it becomes important in a commercial sense is is really. To Twofold. One is the retention piece because it's very expensive to lose people, and the second is the impact on the customer because poor culture has a direct impact on the cult- on, on the customer experience.
0: So, based on that research, we see you know, McKinsey identifying that the role of the manager for people is really critical in the appetite to stay in an organisation. Why is it that that is so poorly? executed for organizations.
1: I think maybe the clue is in the exactly how they described it. It was feeling valued by the manager. That's actually one of those soft skills, isn't it? Feeling valued means that the manager is really engaged. Not just doing their technical job, not just organizing things and processing things, but actually engaging with those people, treating them as as human beings, you know, as as we like to say, creating more human workplaces. Um, Feeling valued is about that person, uh, that manager, valuing my contribution valuing me as a person. And that's all soft skill stuff. We know that people are not well trained in the soft skills of management. Mm -hmm. Self-awareness, awareness awareness of others, working with teams, working with others. So training managers and developing their self-awareness, that's what leads to better communication and, and communication starting from a platform of compassion, actually. Compassion and empathy. And I love your...
0: Statement, Mike, which is we teach skills, but people learn awareness. Yeah. And it's through awareness that you create a good culture because yeah. you're in tune with what's going on around you and in your environment. You are aware that valuing people, praising them for good performance, holding them to a high level of performance as well. You yeah. know, this is all not um, candy floss and balloons. Mm-hmm. You know, this is being part of a high performance team. People value that, but you need that awareness as a, as a manager, and very few uh, have it. And we see a very direct correlation between organizations that are still thinking command and control is the way to get going. Yeah. We see a, a, maybe a middle group of organizations that go, oh, we we think that training people is a, a good idea, training our managers is a good idea, but we tried it before it didn't really, really work. And then we have the organizations that we work with that understand that you've got to train effectively, but you've also got to do it differently.
1: And I think the other part of it is, you know, we we looked at the. There's another piece of McKinsey research around leadership development uh, in a book called Leadership Leadership at Scale, uh, which is really interesting in it, and it and it's very consistent with how we approach things. They've always got some kind of matrix going on somewhere, and one quadrant of their matrix is about the organization adapting itself to the program rather than the program to the organization, because of course if the if the program is adapted to the organization, then nothing really changes. Whereas if the organization has to shift to the program, that's where you get change and that's where you get culture change and transformation. And and we do see, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges for traditional training methods is that they tend to be workshop-based and they tend to be focused on the people who are doing the program rather than the organization. And when that happens, the participants' managers are not engaged. They don't have any sense of what they're doing, or if they do, it's limited. And you know the kind of impetus for change drops off very quickly. And it's even more pronounced if that's in a vacuum from senior leadership, that there isn't a connection between the senior leadership and the middle leadership where we see culture change happening. What we know works and what's built into the program very deliberately is the engagement of the leader coaches, the participants, in the course of the program, have to go and talk to their managers about what they're doing. And what we know works even better is that those leader coaches are talking to their leaders. And there's a connection between the people at the top table and the people at the program. In a couple of weeks, we're going to a great celebration event at one of our clients. They've had a whole lot of people at different levels going through the program and the chief executive's going to make an hour, which is pretty unheard of for an event like this. He's going to make a speech. He's putting on lunch. He is handing out the certificates at the end of the program. It's a big deal to these guys. And they have made such a difference. You know, they've been under tremendous pressure. They've done a big restructure and a reorganization, a new management structure that was challenging enough on its own. And they've really made it work because everybody in the leadership organisation has been committed to it. That's a that's a big thing. And that's where you get the culture and that's where you get the sense of belonging and the feeling valued by the organisation. Spot on.
0: So I'll let's do a bit of a summary here. Uh, yes, the great resignation is real. The understanding of the drivers of that we think are somewhat misunderstood. Uh, research backed up by McKinsey and certainly our own experience in organisations would uh, suggest that uh, on one side, the employers are thinking a lot about uh, job scope, uh, titles, money. On the employee side, the things they're thinking most about is how valued am I by my manager and how connected am I to the organisation? Our our view, of course, is that uh, you're not going to get great outcomes from your management team if they don't have the good skills of management and they should be, you know, they need to be trained. And we have seen that transformation experience when you train your managers well, the impact of the organization can literally be transformative, which is yeah. uh, is amazing. And it's why we do what we do, because we love seeing that more human workplace being created in organizations yeah. and it creates good outcome. Now, there's going to be a CFO or a finance director listening to this going, yeah, yeah, yeah but um, I still have to justify the return on investment.
1: So the, the, the most immediate ROI you can do is the cost of recruitment. And and there's various approaches to that, but we all know how expensive it is to, to, to have to replace people.
0: Let's run a pop quiz. And I know this is going to be tricky because this is a podcast, sure. but let's run a pop quiz. If people just think about the cost of recruitment, replacement, training, opportunity cost of bringing people up to speed, etc., Here you go, audience. Option A is 10% of the person's salary. Option B is 25%. Option C is 50%. Option D is 100% of the cost of that salary. That's the true cost of the organisation of replacing replacing someone. Which option would you go for? Long lengthy pause so people oh, can submit their pause. answer into A, the ether. C
1: or D. Hmm. A, B, C or D. We need music. We need kind of... We do. We do. Yeah.
0: Do you want to reveal the answer?
1: You're the quiz master. And the answer is...
0: C. Fifty percent. They believe that the so if you are employing a you know manager to make our maths easy, if you are employing a manager at the hundred thousand dollar level, the true cost to having that person leave and replacing them with all the associated opportunity costs, retraining, bring them up to speed, maybe some recruitment costs, advertising, is likely to be fifty thousand dollars for that one manager. And that's not our number. That's that's well proven yeah. independent research that yeah. is that that number.
1: And I'd, I'd add to that, there's another cost that we see time and time again is it's bad enough when you lose somebody in a team, you know, a team member, an employee, or, you know, from the floor or just part of the team, right? But losing a manager is even wider in its impact because suddenly, and we've seen this, you know, like where they've they've had an acting manager in for a few months or they haven't had a manager at all, it takes about six weeks before people stop knowing what to do and they, and they stop kind of caring too much but the long term cost of having to replace a manager if you're not really fast is is all that lost productivity and the risk of people losing you know losing their way and leaving too and adding to your kind of replacement cost so the uh, the negative opportunity cost of losing a manager is much higher than losing a team member So for the CFOs of this world, I'd say it's an insurance policy. You know, is it a guarantee that if you train your managers, uh, you won't lose them? No, certainly not. Nothing's guaranteed. And as I said right at the start, people make their own decisions. But you are hedging your bets in two ways. One is a trained manager is going to do a better job at retaining their people. And the second is a trained manager is more likely to, just more likely to stay than an untrained manager. It's like that that old adage, you know, oh, what if I train my people when they leave? Oh, well, what if you don't train them when they stay? Hard to go past that, isn't it, in a, in a podcast. You've just got to have that, that somewhere. At some point, I am going to say that.
0: You are, yeah, you are. And, and you've stuck it in there and it, it's valuable every
1: time. It's so down, true. Particularly as we come up to the Great Recession, another great R, you know, uh, first to go marketing and then training. Just before you do that, just bear in mind, you still need people and you still need culture. And this is when you're going to kind of prove it. And Mike,
0: I think that comes back to the, the smart organization versus the reactionary organization. Yeah. The yeah. reactionary organization looks at the PL and goes, what can we slash? Yeah. The smart organization goes, what does our medium and long term look like in this business? What do we need to do? And they, yeah. they make higher quality decisions because of that viewpoint.
1: Yeah, that's right, Ryan. There's, you know, they either hunker down or they go, okay, we're in for a tough time, but we're going to keep our eyes, you know, we're going to stay on the bridge and we're going to be looking out to see what's, what's two, three, four years out here and who do we need because we will come through this recession.
0: Indeed. Hey, Mike, let's wrap that on the myth of the Great Resignation. In our podcast notes, we will add some links to the McKinsey research and also to a very good blog that Mike has written on this uh, topic. We'll include those links if you would like to investigate further. Thanks, Mike.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Always. Bye. Cheers.